Hello, I'm Dr. Sarah L. Webb, your host for the Colorism Healing Podcast, providing you with the audio experience for all things colorism, which sometimes includes all things. These audio sessions are also available in video format on the Colorism Healing YouTube channel, where you can also see some of my quirky facial expressions and other visuals. Whatever social media platforms you prefer, be sure to like, share, subscribe, or follow to show your support for this labor of love. I hope you enjoy this episode. Sincerely, Sarah. Have you ever felt? Are you listening? textbook the way that I describe our isms. Um, I teach in women's and gender studies, right? And so one of the ways that we define sexism, for example, the ism means a system of privilege and oppression based on whatever the root word is. So within the context of colorism, right, that's a system of privilege and oppression based on color within the same group setting. You know, and so that's how I'll define it. Like, people who are lighter tend to be a little bit more privileged within black circles, you know, and people who are darker are not as privileged in certain contexts as those who are lighter. Now, that's going to change depending on what we're talking about, but generally speaking, that's how it goes. Like racism, I think that colorism is a gender-specific phenomenon. So it, it happens differently for women than it does for men. And like we were talking about a little earlier, you were saying sometimes men are left out of the conversation, right? That's, they get left out of the conversation when we're talking about beauty standards, often. I'm speaking generally here, but when we're talking about beauty standards, because those ideals tend to affect women a whole lot more than they do affect men, even though men can get it sometimes, though. But when we have conversations about colorism with men, it usually falls on that which they hold most near and dear, right? Their masculinity. So if you're lighter, you're seen as a little bit more effeminate by virtue of your skin color often than if you were someone who were darker. Right, and so that's what I mean by it kind of changes depending on the context. I think there are two conversations here, how I've seen it and then how I've experienced it, right? Which, I mean, I see things and experience them as well, you know? And so how I've experienced in my own life, like I typically fall kind of sort of somewhere maybe in the middle. So, you know, I'm safe, you know, I, I didn't really get teased about my skin color at all growing up. But what struck me, and I'll tell you why first before I get into that. I didn't get teased about my skin color a lot, like I said, because I'm brown. But even within my whole, my own family unit, right, my, we're all different colors. My family, we're all different colors, right? So um, stereotypically, I happen to have a light-skinned sister, right? But then I have a brother who has a mixed father, so he has, you know, sandy hair and hazel eyes, right? I have a brother who's darker. I have a brother who's probably a shade lighter than I am. So we didn't really feel that growing up because we were all different skin colors, you know what I'm saying? But what struck me in my experience was that I have a nephew, my light-skinned sister's son, right, who people have often compared to me. You know, he looks just like you. Oh, he reminds me so much of you. He's going to be smart like you, right? And so when he was a little boy, maybe about eight, seven, right, we were having a conversation, and I was telling him, you know, people say you look just like me. And at eight or seven, however old he was, he looked at me and said, well, no, they can't say that I look like you because I look better than you because I'm light-skinned. 
and I could do nothing but clutch my pearls. Like that had never even been a conversation in my family before because again, we're all different skin tones, right? And so I was taken aback by that. You know, my nephew telling me that he looks better than me. Not that he looks like me, he looks better than me because he's light skinned. And I'm like, who taught you that? Where did you learn that? You know what I'm saying? So even though we weren't talking about that in my family unit, he was probably seeing it on TV. You know what I'm saying? Those little subtle messages that we probably don't pay attention to. You know, he may have been talking about this amongst his peer group at school, right? Those types of things. So that's how I've experienced it in my own life, you know? And that's one incident compared to maybe what a lot of people may feel, but that was one that stuck me. Like, I was done. He could have stuck a fork in me, like taken so far back. But, I've also seen it enacted on a lot of other people. You know what I'm saying? And it's it's very hurtful to to see that. We were just talking about a model of Negro, right? And her conversation with Charlemagne the God. And that was basically her introduction to Love and Hip Hop Miami, right? Is when she went to meet with the industry exec who told her, you know, that you're Afro. You know what I'm saying? That's not good. We need cookie cutter women in the industry, right? Implicitly kind of stating that, you know, you're going to be in competition, right, for fans, for scarce resources like money, right? You're going to be in competition with women who are lighter, who are generally more favorable. And so we need to make you look, in his words, classy, you know, that her Afro meant that she couldn't be classy. And I have a lot of friend girls who hold themselves to that standard, right? That 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 ideal, that myth, that mythos, you know, that there's this type, this prototype, by which we get compared, and we determine our worth based on that prototype. I was teaching um, Ernest Gaines' book, A Lesson Before Dying, at a high school in Chicago. And when I was teaching that book, um, there is a section where um, the main character is describing his love interest. It's only a description. No, you know what I'm saying? No um, mathematical or, or geometric symmetry, none of that. You know what I'm saying? Nothing. Just a description of she's light-skinned with long hair and this, that, and the other, right? This, that, and the third. And one of my female students immediately said, oh, she's pretty, right? Didn't say anything about, you know, how big her lips may have been, you know, how big her nose may have been, how how big her head may have been. You know, there was no, nothing of that sort there, right? But just a kind of very cursory description. And the fact that it said light-skinned and long hair, right? Automatically, by definition, literally, she's pretty, right? That still sticks with me to this day. By definition, she was already pretty. And so, like, I have a lot of like I said, a lot of friend girls who, who judge themselves by that norm, right? A lot of people who are granted privilege, notice granted privilege, this is something you haven't earned. You're given this based on your skin color, right? We can talk about our own African-American um, social organizations, right? Who have a history of determining the worth of pledges based on skin tone, right? And I think that might be going away you know what i'm saying but i believe that that history that stereotype because they they are stereotyped all of our black greek letter organizations have a stereotype right that stereotype is still there and it came from somewhere right so it permeates us at the most basic levels you know what i'm saying at the most basic levels so we see it you know what i'm saying and 
it's about time we start acknowledging it a little bit more here. People like privilege. You know what I'm saying? People like privilege, especially when you haven't earned it. We like that. You know, we like being given things. We like being told that we're beautiful. You know, we like those types of messages. You know, we like those types of messages. And I think that that's part of the reason why, because there is a failure on some people's part to even acknowledge that. You know what I'm saying? I have conversations with my light-skinned sister that I was telling you about, and we're very frank. Like, we talk on the phone three, four hours at a time, like, three, four times a week. Like, if we don't talk, there's something going on, right? And we talk about these things, and she tells me the privilege that she's been afforded as a woman. Now, like I told you, these things happen differently for men, right? But as a woman, she tells me the privilege that she's been afforded. You know, little minute things like going out and not having to show an ID, you know, going out and men offering to buy you drinks. You know what I'm saying? Friends of hers who are of darker hue, who don't want to go certain places with her when they're dressed up, right? It's real. Like, that happens for a lot of women and a lot of men, you know what I'm saying? Because we tend to leave men out of the conversation. But that happens for a lot of women. And it's so devastating that we determine someone's worth based on the color of their skin. Never mind we're all the same race, right? Never mind that we all are going to experience at some point some structural inequality or some overt, blatant act of racism based on our race, right? But then even within our own communities, we have that same system perpetuating itself based on color. And we don't want to acknowledge that all the time because there's a lot of hurt there, you know, and it's easier for people sometimes to go on as if something didn't happen rather than to acknowledge it and deal with it accordingly. Well, one reason why men are often left out of the conversation, that's the first part of the question, right, is because they're the ones who are usually determining the worth of women based on skin tone. Right. They're the ones who are usually giving out the cat calls, right? Those things that, that, that kind of reinforce beauty standards on women, right? Beauty standards that women never even asked for in the first place, right? Those are the ones who are usually appeased by those types of things, right? And the reason why they don't probably take up the calls is because oftentimes if we consider the conversation around skin color as an ideology, right, a lot of times people are invested in those things, right? And so you don't want to take them up for that reason, right? I mean, if we go back to Amada La Negra, right? Her whole platform is about money. She went to talk to the industry executive about money. Money's a scarce resource, right? Even though, you know, like, we can get into conversations about the top 1%, you know what I'm saying? We can get into those conversations. But generally speaking, money's a scarce resource, right? And so there's a competition for that money. Right? And if we're being rewarded based on these ideologies, why would we fight that system? Right? If we get to determine somebody's worth based on that system, why would we fight that? That gives us power, right? That gives us power to make determinations about the lives of other people, mostly women. But like I said, men get it as well, right? On the flip side, in terms of their masculinity, right? Um, light skinned men are softer. Light-skinned men are more effeminate. And then let's not even get into the conversation about field niggas versus house niggas, right? 
that whole thing. You weren't with us in the field. Those things that are used to divide, divide and conquer a lot of times, right? Um, so I think that that's why men don't often take up the cause it's because they're the ones who are in a position to benefit from those types of things. And we don't want to give up our benefits, right? We don't want to give those up. So that's why I think that some men don't take up the cause. Now, then we can get into conversations basically about different types of men. For example, I'm a gay man, right? And so that's a whole nother dynamic going on right there, right? And my perception may not be the next man's perception of this, right? But these are things that I've seen, right? These are things that I've been told by my friends, people who are in my close circle, right? These are things I've experienced alongside those people, you know, allies and the cause. Because if you ask me, that's so negative. And I think at this current political moment, right, a lot of black people need to be united. But we have things like colorism. Like I said, that happens within a group. That's intra-group, right? Dividing us. And you divide and you conquer. And we're going to allow it to happen because we enjoy the benefits, right? We enjoy what we get. Privileges are not earned, right? And privileges come at the expense of somebody else's oppression. And if we're on the benefiting side of it, right, we don't see the problem. But then if we're on the oppressed side, right, it's oftentimes put on our shoulders to make other people see that problem. And it's up to them whether or not they want to see it or not. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. We have to first be, I'm a communication major, first and foremost. We have to talk about it, right? We have to be willing to acknowledge that this thing exists. It's insidious, right? Because sometimes you can't even notice it, right? Sometimes you can't even tell that it's going on, right? And we have to be willing to sit down and have those deep conversations, right? And we have to be willing to acknowledge and affirm the feelings of men because, like I said, and like you've agreed to, right, men often get left out of that conversation. But colorism has an effect on them as well, especially when they're on the side of not being so privileged based on that system. Right. And so we have to sit down with each other and we have to have these serious conversations, because if not, this problem is going to continue to perpetuate itself. Right. Over and over and over again. Right. Generation after generation after generation. How many generations are we removed from slavery and we're still hearing house niggas and field niggas? The word doesn't even sound right coming out of my mouth. But you know what I'm saying? Like we still see those types of analogies. Right. Those types of pitting the same group of people against each other. Right. And then if we want to talk about privileges, there were privileges of being a house slave. Right. You didn't have to toil in the hot sun. Right. You got to eat the scraps that were left on the table. Right. Or if you were preparing the food, you got to sneak some of it back to your family. Right. And if we get in these types of privileges from slavery. Right. Imagine what's going on today, because this problem is still going on. Right. It's just morphed into something else. So now we're getting into the clubs for free. Right. We're getting on videos. We're the ones that, you know, are going to be in the music videos. We're getting money based on our skin tone. We're getting exposure based on our skin tone, right? A lot of our key Instagram famous people happen to be light-skinned, and I don't think that that's by happenstance. I don't think it's by happenstance, even within my own community of people, because this is basically a conversation that we're having now about you know, heterosexual people, generally, cishet people, 
right? But then when we get into the lives of queer folk and LGBT people, right, that's a whole nother thing because it's perpetuated there as well, right? Beauty standards, those ideals, light, bright, damn near white, right? Then you're right. Or, I mean, we've had good moments as black people, right? We've had, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud, right? The black of the beer, the sweet of the juice, right? But those things are fleeting, fleeting. And even though we're starting to have the conversation now about skin tone, I think it needs to be had a little bit more. You know, I pulled my nephew to the side that day and I had a very stern talking to with him. And when you asked me to do this, I um, posted it on my Facebook page and I asked him if he wanted me to tell you what had happened. Mm -hmm. How old is he now? He's like 15. Now. Okay. He doesn't recall. Wow. He doesn't even recall. And I remember telling him, well, I'm sure you wouldn't want me to repeat that on camera, you know, because I'm pretty sure, you know, he was, what, seven, eight then, like, he's probably in a different consciousness now, you know, but the fact that he doesn't even recall, right, that conversation and how that conversation made me feel. But I knew in that moment what I had to do with him. You know what I'm saying? I don't take those types of understandings about skin color as natural. Those are things that we're socialized to believe. You know, those are things that we see on TV. Those are things that we see when we open up the magazines, right? Those are the things that we see when we're scrolling our Instagrams, right? So we're getting the messages, right? But somebody has to help us decipher those and not take those as natural, right? We're beautiful people. We come in all different shapes, sizes, and colors, right? And we need to be okay with that. We need to accept that, be okay with that. And we need to start honoring each other for those things, right? Rather than pitting each other apart. Mm -hmm. So I knew what I had to do with him in that moment, right? And his mama bagged me up, right? His godmama bagged me up. Light-skinned people. That's what we have to do. We have to start moving the needle because as long as it's where it is, we're going to take that as natural. We're going to take it as ordained by God or something like that, right? We're going to take that as something that we don't question. And it's going to continue to rip us apart as a people, right? And like I said, in this current political moment, we need each other. We need to hold each other tightly. And as long as we're letting things like colorism get in between us, we'll never be holding each other as tightly as we need to. So those stern conversations, those open and honest conversations, I believe, are necessary. That's how you get people to acknowledge, right? You show them how it's happening over and over again to a point where they can't even deny it, right? Because oftentimes denial is a privilege. You have a privilege to deny that this thing is happening, right? Whereas somebody else's life story may not necessarily be that. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to have those stern conversations, open, honest, stern conversations, right? People putting their feet down mm-hmm. and saying we're not going to take this anymore, right? Within our own group of people. Because at the end of the day, we're all going to face the one that begins with the R. We're all going to face that racism after a while. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, right? Because there are some black people who say I've never, ever, ever, you know, dealt with racism. And that might be their truth, right? But my truth is that we're all going to deal with it at some point in time, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, Mm -hmm. right? So we need to have those conversations, and we need them to be open and honest. And we need to see how racism is actually coupled with colorism, right? That's something that that, that might be an avenue, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's just on a grander scale. 
but it's basically the same thing. If we take, there is no such thing as race, right? If we take that and that it comes back down to we're all just different skin colors, right? It's literally the same thing just on a macro level. So we need to have those conversations. I mean, race as a, biolog a biological construct has basically been debunked, right? There are no substantial differences between people that warrant categorizing them by race. At least some scholars will argue, right? And if we take that at face value, then all of this is colorism. All of it is, right? Just as long as we're not black. Despite what we may look like, because let's be honest, this whole phenomenon, right, racism and colorism is based on people's perception of how you look right nobody's going to ask you hey you know let me see your ancestry.com pie chart like nobody's gonna seriously like nobody's gonna ask you that they're going to look at you and make an assumption right so even if you do have that great 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 grandmother who was native american right going to be trumped by what you look like and that's not always fair right but that's the way that this life is so i think we need to eradicate it all if you ask me you know because like you said it folds under the weight of its own logic right we're not going to get anywhere with this i mean that's the bottom line like where is this going to get us as a people nowhere Let's have these conversations. Like we need these, we need projects like this, you know. And even though more people are having the conversation, we need to be having them in our personal lives, right? We need to be having them with the people that we know, the people that we love, the people that we know and love, and know that they have these types of thoughts, right? I have an uncle who, you know, has a wife that he considers beautiful by virtue of her skin color. It's always that she's light skinned with curly hair. And like I said about my student, that's by virtue, by definition. Like nothing else matters. You have these qualities and you are therefore beautiful. And that might be beautiful for them, but that, that, that does something within the greater context of, this, of it all. You know what I'm saying? And it puts people on pedestals and it stomps other people into the ground. You know? And he doesn't just feel like that about his wife feels like that about everybody who falls in those two categories. It's not fair. It's not fair. What you category just, does he fall into? Dark skin, you know, kinky hair, like, So what you know. does that say about your own self-worth? Right. What does that say about you? But then he's a man, you know. So he can get so, away with you it. you know, to a certain extent, he can get away with mm -hmm. it, you know. When we talk about men in the black community, right, the mythos is tall, dark, and handsome, right? Mm-hmm. And then we can even see that playing out like in love interest on our TV shows, right? The woman is always light-skinned, right? And the man is always dark. You know, generally speaking, I won't say always. I won't speak in absolutes, right? Because I know somebody's probably going to get me on that. But generally speaking... But that's... Every time we talk about something, we're talking about generality. Right. When people point to that one outlier, right. those few exceptions to right. the rule, like they're just trying to ignore the systemic problem. It happens. Yeah, it does. And bleach and like when, when was it like the 50s like come on that circle it's gonna keep on happening unless we hold each other accountable right and have these conversations and have them on platforms that reach a lot of people i'm kind of glad that happened on the breakfast club i'm kind of glad i hate how it happened yes. but i'm glad that happened on the breakfast yes. club yes and i think 
Amada is and where she needs. And on Love and Hip Hop. Yes, and, and on right? Love and like Hip Hop. Like those big things. Yeah. yeah. And I'm glad people like Gabrielle Union are writing about right. it. Right. But Peter is making a, making a children's book about it, right. right? So I'm like, celebrity attention. Yeah. You know? Like, they're, yes. they're where they need to be <laughs> yeah. at this current moment. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And they're doing the work that they need to do. Mm-hmm. You know. So that's how I feel about it. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hey again, before you go, I just want to say thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with someone you know. I hope you can tune in for the next one. And until then, I'm wishing you lots of love.